This is Comictating, the comic book review arm of the Nerdables family of podcasts. Let the nerds take over! Us? Huh? Welcome back, fans, to the latest edition of Comictating. This week, my partner Sebastian and I join you to talk about a fairly healthy stack of comic books that came out this week. We've got them from all angles. we got DC, IDW, Marvel, Albatross books with the new entry, and Dark Horse. Um... I'm going to start in DC. We're going to go over the second part of the button. Last week we did uh, Batman 21, which was the first part of the button, which touched on the events uh, of the Watchmen button that Bruce Wayne finds in the Batcave back in DC Universe Rebirth from last year. So this is part two, Flash 21. We left with uh, Bruce getting his ass handed to him by... Um, reverse Flash. Well, Reverse Flash, but who was the one that took out Reverse Flash? All of a sudden, I can't remember the end of 21. I can't remember the end of Batman. Well, in Batman, he picks up the button, and he says he saw God, and then he disintegrates. That's what it was. It wasn't, yeah, that's what, it wasn't a single character. I was trying to remember, I was like, was it Zoom? Was it, no, wait. I got a lot of comics and a lot of, <laughs> and sales and stuff to run there. So, we come upon Barry here in the Batcave with the desiccated half-corpse of Eobard Thawne. Um, brilliant splash page by Howard Porter. Just right in the beginning here of the Batcave. It's always fun to see different people's uh, takes in the Batcave. I do love, usually when they have this round, you know, this kind of circle of Tron of Batmobiles, it's something akin to, I don't remember ever seeing this before I saw that, that basically like a, almost like a gun chamber of Batmobiles that Jim yes, Lee did yeah. during Hush. That was amazing. You're like, oh, that's why he has so many different Batmobiles and you can change the designs whenever you want. Um, and of course we got the dinosaur. And giant glass penny. cases, the giant penny, the Joker card. I think that's his interpretation of the bat wing or the bat spaceship. I don't know what that is up there. I thought it was, the, I assumed it was the bat wing. I think it's, yeah, I think it's their version of the bat wing, the bat copters in there and everything. So it's, it's always a, a really fun kind of page when these guys get the chance to explore the cave and put their, their, their uh, stamp on it. Barry's doing what he does best. He's a forensic scientist. He's trying to figure out everything that's going on through here. Um, and he finds some surprising results in terms of the fact that Yabot is uh, awash with the radiation that was the same radiation that was on the button, and the fact that uh, there is a, a speed force signature that's covered in the body of Thawne, and it's berries. Right. And so from there, we kind of get into the investigation as he starts to talk to Bruce, and then they bring out uh, a, a relic from the past that any fan of Crisis of Infinite Earths will recognize very quickly. And from there, they continue the investigation as they move. And then we get to the 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 surprise ending to a certain degree. More than anything, I wanted to talk about the fact that the, the button is a, is a crossover that promises to answer a few questions, but definitely ask more. And I thought this did a good job of placing a lot of new questions in there. Right. That are not related to the, uh, to the original... And even last week's, the original DC Universe Reaper special, and even last week's where, you know, people were speculating, what does Eobod mean when he says that he saw the hand of God? Right. Um, what is the radiation? You know, why is it with the, the Psycho Pirate? Why does it yeah. connect with the Psycho Pirate? Psycho Pirate is, uh, is definitely a recurring theme for characters who are sort of tossed from their own universes. Yeah. Uh, the hand of God could easily... Like an anchor point. Yeah, it could easily represent, you know, we talked about a little bit last week in the old Green Lantern comics... Uh, when you go far enough back in time, it's just a blue hand 
in the black space of the cosmos holding the emerging universe. Yeah, the cover for the second printing of DC Universe Rebirth has the blue hand coming yeah. out of the right corner. You know, the, the old Sistine Chapel picture of them, and it's the heroes reaching towards this. Yeah. So, of course, everyone is speculating that it's Dr. Manhattan in some, in some way, shape, or form. Right. Uh, but they obviously don't answer that there. And, and we also have return of a classic uh, character right at the very beginning... And they return of a character that is beloved at the very end. So it's interesting yes. to see. Yeah, there's, there's a cool dichotomy in this. It, both issues are constructed very well um, in terms of their their pacing, their panel placement. Um, Barry's, Barry being an omniscient narrator really helps because you know going through the different pieces as he tries to put these, these different things together uh, with Bruce and the things that he's even hiding from Bruce is he's trying to sort of solve the mystery on his own right. without dragging Bruce into it. And of course, he's Batman, so he's going to come anyway. Right. Um, and yeah, it becomes a, a nice layered piece uh, as they see bits and pieces of these different points of universe's time and... Again, it's more of those tantalizing clues of the explanation of right. what the New Fifty Two was, what the multi universe was, what the multiverse was, even during the New Fifty Two, and what happened to it, and how someone you mentioned right. a, a character in the beginning. Uh, it's a character much like Wally, who never existed in the New Fifty Two right. in the Who's way back? that you would ever, yeah, would ever assume them. And it, it much like what happened with Psycho Pirate, what happened with. Um, I think when they, they finally changed uh, Power Girl's origin again was this they anachronism. Back, yeah. yeah, well, the anachronism in the universe that they're in. Right. Character in the beginning is, is you know, the memory is kind of almost there. Like, there's something wrong Something here. is wrong with... Something is definitely... And, I mean, they, they played it off a little bit in Jeff Johns' Booster Gold series where he's one of the few characters who is supposed to uh, be immune to changes in history or yeah. the universes, but then they just had him get conked on the head and he got amnesia. Yeah. And he was the only person who would have oh, remembered. Yeah. They also show glimpses of the forming of the original Justice League. Yeah. And Batman and Barry are both like, wait, that's not happening. That's Be not happening, yeah. Because for them, they remember the New 52 version. Yeah. We also see uh, the original Crisis on Infinite Earths with Barry's death, and they're also baffled by everything going on. So I like that. We also get to see the return of the Justice League, uh, the Justice League trophy room. Yes. Always seems to be Barry or, or some sort of... Uh... Uh, Speed Force character that's around the trophy room. Yeah, that might just be. I reread the first uh, Grant Morrison arc for JLA. The nice. um, oh gosh, what was the name of the other the other group there? There was like the the nineties extreme team that came to solve everything. Uh, but that the 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 piece. No, it's not that one. It's the second one. It's the Angel Host one, where they're in the trophy room. It's it's uh, Barry or not Barry. It's Wally and Cal or Clark and he's Wally's rearranging the room very quickly. Uh, so it's just like seeing Barry in a trophy room, like, Oh yeah, I remember when Wally was in the trophy room and the thing I read just the day before. Um, yeah, again, it's just, it, it's a solid one, two pieces. It's been a lot of fun. A lot of, it's very exciting. And again, it's, it's this issue, especially because Barry's so connected to so much lore in D the DC universe and the DC history. There's a lot of DC history in it. There's a lot of yes. pieces of it. That are there. Um, not enough to lose somebody if they're, you know, if they have not super steeped into DC history. And enough of a sense of mystery that if you're new to kind of DC, maybe you've only been reading since the New 52 or just before. It gives you those little questions, those little pieces, and you may kind of look at it with really the same 
questioning and awe that the characters that are in right. the issue are, are, are reading because this doesn't look right. Oh no, this isn't the way they form the JLA. Right. JLA forms completely differently. I, I read Jeff Johns's run. Yeah, I read New that 52. first issue. They don't, they don't form like that. For Dark well, Side. There's a lot right. of ones. And, and you know, this is what Greg Ruck is yeah. touching on in, in Wonder Woman. As she's right. remembering right. like two very different histories. Right. She's getting, she, yeah, she was getting glimpses of the pre- flashpoint version of herself and pre-crisis version and remembering the way her character her villains looked the way the world looked very differently so yeah. i'm happy that they're slowly inserting this stuff especially because if you're a longtime dc fan you've probably got a lot of questions i know one of the questions that jeff johns posed at uh, i believe it was WonderCon this past year he he asked straight out why isn't there a justice society Right, and those are questions that uh, hopefully will be answered yeah, one soon. Of the, one of the changes from the New Fifty Two that's stuck in this rebirth is that the Justice Society still hasn't been doesn't mentioned. exist. We don't know where any of those characters are, especially because the Earth Two versions of many of those characters, like uh, Alan Scott and Jay Garrick, are vastly different yeah. from the original Earth Two counterparts. So we'll see. Yeah, we shall see. But yeah, another another solid piece. I mean, it all, and it, it's a good pacing because you know it's only four pieces. It's only four issues. Yeah. Uh, in the crossover, so it's kind of like fairly quick, which I enjoy. From there, we move on to IDW. IDW is known for a lot of its um, licensed work: Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, GI Joe, Transformers, the entire Hasbroverse, Ghostbusters, real Ghostbusters. Uh, but they do a number of creator-owned titles as well. And the one we're going to talk about is the Night Owl Society. It's written by James Van House and art by P.S. Bach, and it's um. It's funny because I kind of opened it and it felt like the style from X Files, which is another one that a IDW little bit, does. yeah. Uh, but in a good way. I mean, it's it's I don't want to say a house style, but this is the kind of style that we see a lot in these kind of books. If you've read The Fix from Image, uh, Four Kids Walk Into a Bank from uh, Black Mask, oh yeah, yeah, those type. It's it's got that feel. Um, uh, it's, I'm, I'm blanking on the type of person. You know, maybe Michael Lark. Uh, Gosh darn it, I can't remember the one. Who did Daredevil with Bendis for so long? Was it Michael Lark? No, it wasn't Michael Lark. It was Michael Lark. Anyway. It might have been Michael Lark. It might have been Michael Lark. So it's it's a very solid uh, in terms of the, the, the style, the artwork. Backgrounds are, you know, pretty much colored for the pieces, but that's all you need. You know, good looking buildings, doors, and jimmies, you know, you, you get it. And it's these, uh, there's a mystery in it that you kind of don't know about. They keep referring to what happened to Father Seamus. Right. But they don't tell you what happened to Father Seamus. And the crux of the story is one kid knows uh, who did whatever it is that happened to Father Seamus. And has put together a group of teenage superheroes with no powers to find out or to uh, to to go and solve and, the mystery. Yeah. Bring also, this person to justice in, in one way or another. They also want to sort of take on. I mean, the I mean, especially when they describe the book itself, it's about a group of kids taking on the local mob. So we know there's going to be some connection yeah. to that. And I, I actually really enjoyed it. There's a great character interaction with the main character and one of the jocks at the school. Yeah. You know, he's about to get into a fight as the nerdy kid. And one of them shows up and he's like, hey, man, I'm really sorry. And just a nice moment of like, it's like, hey, I, you know, say, hey, it's cool. We've known each other for like three years. I sit next to you in different classes. It's, it's like, oh. Yeah, he says, uh, the, the kid is, why are you helping me? I know what it's like to be the new kid at school. I'm not new. I've been going to the school since I was six. Oh, sorry. I've just never seen you around. I sit next to you in Mr. Agnes' history class. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, it's kind of got, uh, it's like kick-ass toned down. 
Yeah, it's kick like ass, if, you, if you take Kingsman, Kick Ass or Kings or whatever, and you put it in the Archie verse to a certain degree, a little bit, yeah. Um, except you know the 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 Blossom's father really is a a gang boss, yes, yeah. who murders people and and so on and so forth. It's got a, a nice slick sense of humor. Uh, the dialogue in it is fantastic. Um, it's it's a really kind of down to earth, bread and butter, bare bones book that is so much more than what you would think it is. And of course, there's a twist at the end. Of course, of course. Which you gotta uh, have a hook. it's kind of the one that I think a few of us might have been seeing or, or would have seen to get out there. Um, but it's still fun. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of Four Kids in a Bank. Four yes, Kids Walking yes, in a Bank. Yeah. Because there's a lot of that. that it, You can't help it because there's four or five kids right. that are going after these adults. And it's the same thing that Four Kids Walking into a Bank is as they take on these bank robbers. Um, even the twist is a little bit close, too. So... Uh, it's it's in that same vein, but it's good, which is you know right. It's okay if things are this. You know, if you can, we don't have to bust. Your, you don't yeah. have to bust the genre every time. Yeah, if you can Just differentiate yourself enough, if you can put your own voice into it and produce solid work. Yeah, if you're reading images of the fix, I mean the fix is a is a you know a crooked cop crime noir. It's not so vastly different than anything that's out there, right. except there's a dog in it, and it's awesome. But uh, you know Sean Mertenborough and. Um, uh, the guys that did a Spear, uh, Spear of Foes of Spider-Man. So that book is fantastic. Same thing. It's it's a good, solid piece of genre fiction that really just, yeah. if that's what you want, it's fantastic you get in there. Yeah, the kids have um, got good personality. Yeah. The uh, We get to see the mob boss right at the very beginning with his uh, henchmen as he's got this scheme with vending machines. You know, it's just really good. Yeah, it's, really a good, good. it's good stuff. Uh, so it's definitely one. Night Owl Society, one of, the, one of our under-the-radar books. Yeah, check it out. It's good. We've got another one coming from that Albatross one that you and I really loved. Uh, but I want to talk about Batman and the Shadow from DC and Dynamite. Um, obviously, everybody knows who Batman is. The Shadow that Dynamite's been producing for a couple of years now has some really good stories in it. I know Matt Wagner's done a lot of stuff with it. Um, Shadow does have some history at DC. It was published by DC for a long while. The only reason I know that is I pick up issues when I see them because Rod Wigham does and Ron Wagner do a lot of the art for it yeah and they were the guys who did gi joe with larry hama in the 80s so it's fun to flip through those books and see like oh that that looks like that issue of gi joe oh that look that's I, I know that pose um but here we have batman in the shadow uh it opens with bruce in the himalayas no french alps and running into henry ducard needing help with a mystery and it's a murder mystery a a sad murder mystery. I, it is one of the few times you ever get a character who's introduced. It's our, our poor victim, uh, our victim Lamont Cranston. If you're a Shadow fan, uh, will make you very intrigued. But he is the guy who does all the food prep and stuff at Arkham, and he's a decent human being taking care of them. He gives them the, yeah, he's he, a good guy. He does the best to get respect. them the food they want. They all seem to. He's like the only person in the entire DC universe that any of Batman's rogues actually like. Yeah, they all kind of get together. And it's like, hey, like man. Him. And he's got, I mean, he rescues a dog that's got the little wheelchair. Yes. He, and it, and it, he in takes a way, care of, he, he, he fosters rescue dogs. Yeah. When you, like, before you mentioned it, I kind of had that feeling. I was like, there's something here that makes Something's this book off. a little bit different. Yeah. And it is that it's just not. She came home at night and someone killed her. It's like, we just spent four pages with this, with guy, this guy and he gets horribly murdered. He gets all, yeah. And I, the panel with his dog, it's just like, oh, you just want to cry. And then uh, uh, enter Batman as he tries to find, uh, as he tries to crack the case and gets attacked by a mystery assailant, which for some reason turns out to be the shadow. 
Um, of course, the Shadow is supposed to be a good guy, so why is he fighting Batman? What I liked with this is there's a lot going on and not all of it's explained. Which I like. Which I like. In that it's stuff that you still have to figure out. Again, for me, reading The Shadow, it's like, well, The Shadow wouldn't have killed that guy. Right. And The Shadow, you know, he wouldn't have murdered his own his own grandson or whatever it is. Uh, and he's fighting Batman. It just doesn't make any sense. And they don't tell you in the issue no, what it is. No, they don't. This is what he goes to Descartes for because like, Descartes would have known his father or, or what have you at yep. the end there. Um, they also have great moments with sort of the... So if you know anything about The Shadow, he builds basically an underground criminal fighting empire. He's got uh, different aliases. He has different people working for him. And they introduce a lot of those elements, especially from the standpoint of The Shadow, at least within the context of this book, being an immortal. Something has happened yeah. to him. It's more than the powers. Immortal or a time traveler yeah. or something along more those lines. More than the powers that he gained when he was in Asia in yeah. the original stories when he was lost and trapped and had to learn the powers of the shadow. So I dig that. I dig that a lot. And it has the piece of, you know, the, the shadow knows is in there as he knows something very intimate about Batman. He knows he's Bruce Wayne. Right. Uh, he's able to quote, and yet he's a able to quote from... a letter from a long time ago. Yeah. So they don't take that piece away of him being kind of, you know, sort of like Sherlock, Sherlock Holmes and the fact that he knows things that nobody else knows. Yeah. Whether it's a mystic ability, where it's a deduction ability, or what have you. But here it's almost explained in a way that he was alive during the events that he would know of. Right. Um, so there, there's a little bit of a supernatural element to it. It doesn't take it out of that. They don't put Batman back in the Shadow's time. They don't take the Shadow and move him into the into mm -hmm. our time. They use both. Right. Which I think is, is a great way to kind of differentiate it from either of those it's not a Batman book. It's not a Shadow book. It's not going to be, you know, if you were reading The Shadow and him fighting in the 30s and 40s, right. that's not here. If it's Batman where there's no connection to these characters from 60 years ago, that's not here. Right. This is a meld of those two pieces. Um, Scott Snyder and Steve Orlando are the writers, so, you know, you've got Snyder doing some of the, the plotting here. Riley Rossmo doing the art. The art is, is it's that kind of gritty style. Again, it's, it's a, not necessarily like the book that we just did, and that it's, it's much more lavish, especially in the backgrounds. But it's got that hard line push to it, deft little cuts in terms of uh in, in terms of the brush not brush but the pencil marks or what have you. I actually really really like the art style, and I think it fits both yeah. the shadow, especially because he draws Batman in the shadow very differently. He makes the shadow a lot more lanky. He sort of gives him. It, it's not the shadow is like Spawn. In, in some yeah, degrees. yeah. The way that he He's treats got a cape the, is all the scarf over the place. and his cloak, the scarf. Yes, the way sorry. he moves his arms, it sort of has yeah. like this quality, almost like he is sort of stretching and shifting his body size, which isn't really a power of the shadow, but it works in the context of the character. Yeah, the first attack, he's kind of like all over the place. And he draws Batman big and bulky, and I also really like the short ears he's, on Batman. I like the short ears on Batman. It, he draws him very stocky. Yes. Like, yeah. a, like a stout, stocky individual, but also somebody who can, you know, know 16 different forms of of fighting and meld them into into a piece that, that really works. Um I like the shadow a lot. I followed the shadow through Matt Wagner's run. So it was a lot of fun to read. And like I said, I read a lot of the old DC stuff. Um, so I was intrigued by this with these two characters. And again, it, it, it's a good start. It's probably something that if you're a Batman fan, uh, you'd look at it and it may not be on your pile because you've got so much other Batman to buy. Right. But it's definitely something that should, if you're a shadow fan, it's definitely something to pick up. Don't, don't be scared of the fact that it's got another character other than the shadow. There's enough shadow in it. Right. And it's really well done. Um, and besides, I wouldn't mind if this led to something like a 1930s version of Batman in the oh, Shadow. Oh, yeah. You, which you, could you do an Elseworlds? Yeah, you just do the Elseworlds type yeah. of thing. Like you do Golden Age Batman in the Shadow? Yeah. 
big ears and using yeah. a machine gun and purple gloves and, and shooting people uh, before they changed everything and made, oh Marvel's kicking our ass because everything's continuity let's make it continuous yay uh, Marvel continues to assault us with number ones we have Ben Riley, the Scarlet Spider spinning out of the clone conspiracy <laughs> what assault us with <laughs> no I just uh, so we've got Ben Riley, but there's a moment in this book that still that is still so amusing. Oh, this book was but so in character for Ben Riley, and like, I love his new suit by yeah, the way, the new suit that he stole off of somebody. Um, so Ben Riley, this is all spoilers. If you haven't read Clone Conspiracy, you're not gonna want to listen to the next like right. five minutes. But if you also know a little bit about Ben Riley, Ben Riley was a clone in the Clone Saga. He's a clone yes. of Peter Parker, who was cloned again, who was cloned in the Clone Conspiracy or the Clone Saga. And then revealed that it was him the whole time, but it was never Peter after a certain event. And then fans rioted and burned down like all of Manhattan. And they're like, no, wait, no, 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 wait, hold on. Never mind. And yeah, they brought him back a couple of times as the Scarlet Spider. And here we have him as the Scarlet Spider again. But it's a little different. Uh, in Clone Conspiracy, the Jackal is reviving, cloning all of these deceased people around Peter's life. And Spider-Man's life, and then it's revealed at the end that it's Ben Riley. Yeah, that the Jackal is Ben Riley, who has cloned himself in a okay. way. <laughs> um, he's uh, he's mentally unstable. He talks to himself in the old uh, hoodie costume, which is great. And we're in, uh, you know, it looks like he's in New York. We have a reveal. He's in Vegas. He's in the New York, New York right, hotel. They do, a, they do a nice pullout, and it's yeah. uh, the New York, New York hotel. He's like, oh, I love being in New York. It's such a great city, even even if I'm not in New York. <laughs> You can really see the strip from here. I mean, it's it's a it's a just a hit like immediately, in terms of the um, in terms of the writing, uh, which it should be because it's um, it's Peter David, which is nice to see. And Mark Bagley from Ultimate Spider-Man. Mark Bagley, who has written or who has drawn more pages of a Spidey book than I think anybody alive. Um, yeah, he did Ultimate Spidey. He did uh, Spider-Man himself in a couple different places. Didn't he do the Clone Saga? The original Clone Saga? Yeah, wasn't he a part of that? He might have been. I know, he, he did a lot of stuff on Spider-Man beforehand. I want to say he was there when Carnage started. Carnage started, Clone Saga. So it, it harkens back to to that piece. And then obviously he did that huge run on Ultimate Spider-Man uh, with Brian Michael Bendis. Uh, Peter David back writing it. There's a sense of humor in this book. I, I'm reading it. I'm going through a couple pages. I'm like, okay... What have you? Yeah, all right. He's debating whether he's a bad guy or a good right. guy. Right. He's having an existential I'm, crisis with himself. Yeah, talking to himself in the old costume. I'm not a bad guy. Yeah, you are. You had this scheme that Spider-Man had to stop that makes you the bad guy. And then there's a mugging, and there's a gun, and he shoots this guy in the knee, and the, the woman that he saves, I don't know how to repay you. Uh, you can give me $100. And from there, I'm like, okay, I'm in. That is the exact moment I was chuckling at. When you started reading off the book, uh, that was absolutely fantastic. Just as like, oh, it's like, that's a sign of a good book. Where it, I you had got, read it before me, yeah, and I'm reading it, and I got fifty bucks. I, st I start chuckling. You're like, oh, are you at the mugging scene? It's like, yep, there we go. And from there, yeah, it just it just gets crazier and crazier. Um, <laughs> the woman at the casino on the slot machine. I'm it's not amazing. even I'm not even going to talk about the scene because it's so good because he's so demented. And yet, the people that he runs into are kind of just going along with it, or they're demented themselves. Um, it was a book that, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, I only read it because we had no other Marvel number ones. I'm like, right. we need some books to talk about. Let's that go was, through this yeah. and we'll see. 
and I found myself laughing through it, and I shouldn't be surprised once I figured it out. I was like, "Oh, Peter David's writing yeah. it." Peter he knows David's... how to. He knows how to write Spider. Yeah, he wrote. Well, he knows how to write a book that is cleverly humorous. I mean, his yeah. entire X Factor run, especially the later one with Madrox as the head of X Factor, when it was X Factor inve- Investigations, um, with the girl that knows things. There's just brilliant humor through it, and it's very subtle, and it's pieces like this where it's just that situation of him, you know. You've seen it a thousand. How can I ever repay you? No need, ma'am. I'm a superhero. And this is like, you got a hundred bucks on you? I got no money. Uh, got like and she 50. says, I don't have a lot of money either. I only got $50. All right. Uh, I'll, ta- I'll find the rest when you get paid. And then gives her the gun. And is like, yes. you just got mugged. You should hold on to it. Yep. Here, you uh, take this. You take, take this. It was, you, oh, it was, I'll take your 50 bucks, but you need this gun more than you, I do. Yeah, you take the gun and then you use it because you just got mugged. And you're in a bad place. Uh was yep. hilarious yep it, oh boy it's, it's interesting too it's, yeah. it's interesting trying to figure out exactly what the hell he's trying to do it's also nice to sort of see you know like it, in its own weird way it's kind of like taking a little bit of that deadpool formula like okay ben riley is a clone we never knew if ben Li- Brian riley was a perfect clone whatever the cloning process and i mm. sort of like that they've joked that he's been alive for so long now he's just sort of going insane and the process isn't perfect, and I do like inserting that little bit of humor. If we're going to take that character and bring him back, let's do something different and do it in a good way. Dug it. Yeah, it was it was really good. Um, yeah, Deadpool without the fourth wall stuff. It's like yeah. he's crazy in the crazy. Yeah, he's literally like within, crazy. Within the Marvel Universe, he's a little unhinged. He's touched. He, yes, he's if touched. If want to go that way. Uh, speaking of crazy... We go to Albatross Comics' Nam Wolf. The Nam Wolf. And that's pretty much That should tell you everything you need to know yeah, about um, Nam Wolf. We've returned to the realm of stories about Vietnam. You know, we got away from it for a little bit as we started to talk about, well, we'll talk about Desert Storm and the, the War on Terror. Nope, let's go back and do... Let's go back to the Nam. There, there's so many stories in, in, in American fiction based off of Vietnam. Uh, and we have a character... Who we got Marty, little Marty. Marty, yeah, that's right. His name is Marty. Yeah, little Marty going off to going off to the Nam. Going off to Nam, uh, and he turns into a werewolf. <laughs> yep, it's basically. Next, I, I, it's uh, I, I enjoy the setup because we do have an omniscient narrator, and I, you know, his dad gives him a letter. He's like, son, we could, you know, you don't have to go to war. I'm willing to help you get out of this. I've been in that situation. Uh, I presume that he was probably in World War One or Korea, or sorry, World War Two or Korea. So how old do you think this guy is? It's very old. Uh, so he's been through war and he doesn't want his son to go through it. But he also knows why well, his it, son shouldn't have to go through. Yeah, it. when it goes, it's like, well, I'm not worried about him. I'm worried uh, about everybody I'm else. I'm worried about the rest of the yeah. world. Like, and what, I, is, what is he going to do? Here's the letter. You know, classic moment. Take this letter. Don't open it until you need to. And he's like, well, know. I know. It's like, it's like, oh, you'll know. And we all know when that moment is. Yeah. And uh, it definitely doesn't try and hide what, what it is. It's just more of the characters around it, the squad that he's in, and and, and what happens. Um, it does have a bit of that 70s, you know, Marvel and indie monster feel to it. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a monster book, but a monster book with a little more bite to it. Yes. Uh, the guns are so inconsistent, though. That's the thing. They get the M16A1... A1. A1 right in one... Well, that's an A2. That's incongruous. That's not supposed to be there. You didn't have that in Vietnam. There was also and then no the gun that he has Vietnam is very... Uh, well, yeah, but that's, you know... Yeah, that's... That looks, not that, that you know. It doesn't look like a 1911. Or... 
Not that you know. Not you don't know. There could have been werewolves in there. We just wouldn't know. Well, you know, Legend of the Nam Wolf. That's uh, that that that's that's where the story is based just, on a true story. I think you just gave him the sequel. Uh, the Legend, Legend, the Legend of the, the Nam Wolf. When he finishes this one, uh, Fabian Rangel Jr. and Logan Faber have done a very interesting and fun book. It's one of those like Karate from a couple weeks ago. You look at the title and go, well, you can't really screw that up, can yeah, you? Yeah, Let's let's see what let's see what we do. Um, so yeah, it's got a, it's got a kind of a, a lightish tone to it, but it's still you know he ends up just killing people like crazy. <laughs> he, up, he turns into a werewolf. And the fact, he turns into a werewolf with turns, a gun. That's that's the other thing. Not only he is he clowning people, he chops the guy's He's, head into four pieces. Yeah, he rips people's arms off. Uh, but then he also has a machine. Oh, I didn't even notice. He slashes this dude's arm off and he rips his leg off at the same time. And this guy's a beast, literally. And uh, um, his his uh, squad is watching in horror yeah. as all of this happens. Um, and then one of his squad mates, I, the the line is, I'm going to paraphrase the line. Something it's like he wouldn't let any monster take away his duty or something. Yeah, it was like I, I didn't come here to I didn't I, come here to kill people, or I didn't let some monster take. I didn't people. come to Vietnam to let some monster do my job for me. Something like that. Yeah, it was. Uh... Just right. utterly ridiculous. Yeah, old Killer Joe didn't join the military. Let's a monster fight his battles. <laughs> yeah, so it just it's like absolutely a punisher. absurd, absolutely yeah. ridiculous. But it's, it's an absurdity, really but a, 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 a it's very tongue in cheek. Yeah, there's um oh gosh, I can't even think of the word. There's there's a truthness to it. I can't even think of the word. His heart. There's this. Oh my god, it's somewhere. It's somewhere in there. I don't know where it is. Somewhere in the back of my brain. Is exactly the word I needed to put it to put it in there, but I'm not sure what it is. So yes, Nam Wolf again, small publisher, so it may be a little bit harder to find, but it's definitely but worth the time. Definitely fun. Art's to track beautiful. Down. Art's gorgeous. That, that, uh, it reminds me a lot of Airboy. Yeah, yes. It's got that same feel. The um, cover is awesome. Oh, you know what? I think that's the guy who did Old Killstrike. You know uh, what? Almost guarantee we were, both, it. we were both thinking about that earlier. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's. I believe this is the gentleman that did Old Killstrike. That's where I. I kind of feel this is from. Oh yeah, that's that's got to be him, Logan Fair. That's got to be him. Oh, Kill Strike, by the way, really good book. One of my favorite titles ever. If you grew up through the '90s and, and the comic scene in the '90s, man, you you got something. Uh, we're gonna end with Dark Horse's Aliens: Dead Orbit, uh, written and drawn by James Stoko. And the reason we're gonna end with it is because it is awesome. Yep. Uh, if you're familiar with James Stoko, he did Orkstein, uh, Godzilla: Half Century War. Did the first part of one of the last Godzilla that was like a almost like an anthology of Godzilla going through all these different times, and uh, Stoko did the first issue for that. He has a very distinctive style. It's Jeff Darrow-ish. Yeah. Nobody's exactly like Jeff Darrow, but it, it's, it's in the same. He's in that same he's camp. Super, super detailed, super crazy. You know, backgrounds of tech and pipes and and computer screens and buttons and. All this type of stuff, wires and cables. Yeah, he's he's got. A lot. I, I I didn't even my first pass through the book wasn't even reading the book. It was just looking yeah. page after page of the artwork. We've had the um the, the the cover is the astronaut. You've got the space station in the back, and then the alien kind of forming out of this out of broken roll. pieces that are coming apart. And that's what we open in on is the space station. It looks like it's starting to fall apart, and then we go backwards to figure out how we get to this point. Uh, if you are a fan of the first alien this is the type of book it yeah. is uh it's not machine guns and and groups right. of aliens attacking 
It's a space station. Yeah, space it's station. A single re- piece. Refueling station uh, orbiting a gas giant when a lone ship that won't respond to any hail slowly starts to float its way to, uh, at some to point, the refueling station. At some point, people in sci-fi are going to figure out, you just don't go to those ships. Don't go to those ships. And it's mentioned here, too. Where they're like, just let them float. Don't worry yeah. about it. We, we're not here to save we've them. Had, we're just yeah, here. We've had trouble with marauders before. Yeah. If they're not responding, and you know the ship is a bit fishy since the ship has been basically uh, hacked together from other smaller yeah, ships. Yeah, there's a lot of mods and stuff like that. So they, they do they do make it very clear, like, do we trust these people? They're not responding to hails. They're getting pretty close, and they decide to go investigate the other mistake in every single horror and sci-fi genre. Let's go check it out. Yep. Let's go to the basement. Let's uh, go into the woods. Let's, let's just, let's just let's, knock on the door. Nobody know, home. Let's go into this derelict spaceship with uh, very low vital signs. Just, nope, nope, nope. In terms of the artwork, again, James Stucco writing and drawing is in command of everything that's here. And especially the page I opened up to with the, the, the before, it looks like the way Alien was shot. Yes. I mean, the, the the panel work that's in it is very much like you would expect from Alien or Aliens. Yeah, or the Alien way 3. the consoles are designed. Yeah, but it's also the, just the way that it's, you know, long shot, short framed, shot, long yeah. shot, short shot. Um, Lots of canted angles. Yeah, there's a lot of that type. Of, I mean, it's it's so pretty yeah in, in such a great way and again it, it, it's about those and and what you really love and one of the reasons i love um uh aliens defiance that brian wood is doing is the aliens are secondary it's the characters that right. you're getting these human characters and the situation of what this ship is what's going on with the people that are that are in it oh, like yeah. the cryo two people that are not exactly what we think they are in a way, or at least they they get injured in a way. So you know there's more going on here. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, in the the horror aspect, there's a. I mean, he knows how to build atmosphere. This is a great yeah. scene where there he's walking down a hallway. He's removed his helmet. He hears some hissing, and it's like, oh okay, it's just a gas pipe, you know. And out of the corner of his eye, for us, we see the alien curled up. But then they do like, or the, is it? But then dun, they do dun, a dun, great dun. yeah. They do a great double take where yeah. it's just a canister leaning against a wall inside of like this you know like this little alcove just really really well done to give you that good atmosphere that alien and aliens has always provided yeah we had a promo poster from the cover for number one here up in the store for a while and we did get a couple of of people pulling the book just for that yes but it's worth it just for the for the art even if you're not an alien fan who's it the aliens barely in it um it's it's a building it's a mood it's an establishment there's a very uh, anime Japanese feel to the kind of pacing. Yes, that's there. Really, really, really good book. I kind of you know I expected this to it, be. It reminds me of like late '80s manga. Yeah, his art style. There's a little bit. It. I mean, like looking in terms of the way that they kind of s- they pace it out as you're 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 setting, you're establishing, you're setting, establishing ambience, everything around it. It's you know, uh, mobile labor, uh, pat labor. Uh, Pat Labor 2 had that where it's just long shots of just yeah. establishing stuff even Akira and stuff like that a very Japanese style of really establishing your scene of where you are not being afraid to show the transportation you know when you leave one ship and you're headed towards the other one and stuff like that so it is a it's a brilliant book I can't wait to see it's only four issue mini so it's not very yeah. long I can't, I'm gonna, not I, big, and he's doing all of it and it's solicited through four and he's doing each one yeah, I know uh, I'm going to buy the hardcover. When oh, yeah. One. It's one of the ones, two pages in. I'm like, yep, I'm good. Yep. I'm getting this. I know what this is. I love it. But don't keep that from going. You at least pick up the first issue just so you can find out just how much you love it and and 
support that so that we know we'll get a hardcover. Uh, but you'll, it'll do fine. Yes, Aliens for, always for does my well. sake, uh, put in your order so I can go get a hardcover. Yeah, there you comes go. Out. Do it for Sebastian. Do it for me. Hashtag do it for Sebastian. Hashtag Sebastian Strong. Sebastian Strong. Sebastian Strong. I love it. Speaking of Sebastian Strong, did you die on Dapper Day? No, it was great. Wow. It was great. Uh, so for, because I read the same weather reports, it was supposed to be crazy. It ended up being 84 degrees with a breeze. Well, that's not bad at all. So it was not bad at all. There uh, is just a little inside baseball. The reason I bring it up is it's got to be two years ago? Yeah, about two years ago. Two when years it was like ago? 110, yeah. 115. You wait, wasn't it, was that the spring or was it the fall? I think it might have been fall. It was so fall. I feel like it was November. So there's a picture. We found that Sebastian was going to, uh, to Dapper Day. There's a picture of him and our friend Shauna. Sebastian looks great. This gray suit, dressed to the nine. Shauna's beautiful red dress, makeup, everything. And I remember you posted the picture on the day, and I looked at it and just thinking, a buck fifteen or something, and that you had to be dying. Oh, I was. And didn't you wear? You only wore it for like a little bit, didn't you? And then had to get changed or something uh, like that. Well, was I was like, it was originally a three piece, but then at one point I I went back to the car, took the vest off, which helped cool <laughs> things down a little bit. That was easily like the worst dapper day uh, I had been to because of the weather, not because of the actual event yeah. itself, just from the heat. But I was expecting it to be around a hundred again this last Sunday. Yeah. And we nope. were worried cause it was, it was hot Thursday and Friday cause we had the sale on Saturday. Um, and you went, you went Sunday and we were afraid that, you know, the sale was going to be really hot and it wasn't too bad. There was enough of a breeze and it wasn't like super, super windy. I mean, it wasn't, uh, you know, it was it was balmy, but it wasn't you know too yeah. crazy. No, eighty four. Yeah, it was just funny because when you said it, we because we, we recorded the Nerdables podcast since we're in the Nerdables family uh, on Sunday, and we put out we're recording on Sunday, and you said you were headed to Dapper Day, and the first thing I could think of was, why do you pick those days to go? <laughs> why do they always have Dapper Days when it's like super hot, super hot, super yeah. crazy? So we got we got we got lucky. We dodged a bullet. So that was uh, that was actually really nice. And then uh, it was also nice to see. I guess they uh, taken down the full tarp. For the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, to, yeah, to bring it back to, to bring it back to comics a little bit, and they're going to start their Summer of Heroes soon. Intrigued. Yeah, we're thinking that uh, that corner. I think we might have talked about it on Nerdables either last week or the week before. That that corner is probably going to become a Marvel corner. I think they're going to knock down those yeah, they're doing, stages or whatever. Yeah, it's the, the Hollywood Land area that they're. Yeah, that piece. And once you get past Buena Vista Street, you make that left into Hollywood Land. It's so much like Buena Vista Street. You're not. I don't think anyone's going to notice the difference. Yeah, there's not a lot there. You right now they're into, using the theater yeah. for previews and. Yeah, stuff like that. Well, they still don't they still do the Frozen show that's right next to the tower. The Frozen show is uh, still in the big theater where yeah, the Aladdin between, show was. Yeah, because that's but that's between the tower and like the. The, the animation building and yeah stuff. and then the other stuff like that i mean they, they, i'm sure they can find someplace else to house yeah it. especially especially now that the Disney. contract with the universal is now anything on well, the west coast here, is fine yeah that, that's been a while for a while now yeah, about they a year and a half now two years yeah that contract was only extended to like 30 miles around uh some i think or universal orlando the so quote that's is why, like west of the mississippi is okay yeah well, well they said like walt disney world couldn't do it because yes. it's it's within that 30 mile radius but anyway yeah that's that's theme park talk. That's theme park talk. But Nerdable, uh, Nerdable Theme Parks is coming, or we just talk theme parks. Oh no, dude, you and I could probably do that. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot to talk about with all the changes they do. Yeah, my favorite thing is sending you a question and getting like four very concise emails of a lot of information. Like when I said, "Where's the time capsule?" Boom, it's here. It was placed here at this time. This is what we think is it. It's like, oh, this this is what I love. You ask Sebastian a question, and it's not just, "Hey, it's over by the castle." It's just boom, 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 boom. Info, 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 info. 
it's great that's what we and like there's a special. great uh youtube channel uh well i don't know if it's the channel but it's a series of videos if you uh go on youtube and you search defunct land hmm. and he does little tiny 10 minute episodes on specifically disney stuff is uh the major stuff that he works on but he just did a video uh, about a month or so ago on the jaws ride in universal studios florida as well so he does talk about uh a lot of the defunct things at Universal and at Disneyland. He liked the uh, the Alien Encounter ride that became the Stitches ride, but it was originally supposed to be... That's right, it used to be an Alien Encounter ride. I thought yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, in Universal Studios, uh, in uh, Disneyland at Walt Disney World, and it was originally going to be Disney and 20th Century Fox's joint venture to do an Aliens attraction, and it fell through and it just became Alien Encounter. He talked about uh, the process of doing the Jaws ride in Florida... He recently uh, started a two-parter on uh, Pleasure Island at Walt Disney World. He's done stuff like uh, uh, Videopolis that was here in Disneyland. So it's actually a really, really cool uh, set of YouTube videos. Yeah, they have like Instagrams does. for like defunct theme parks. Which yeah, are spooky as heck. But no, the, the, uh, out here is it the KFI guy who does the, the food guy for like KFI or something like that. That does uh, the Disney blog for like secret foods at Disney. Oh yeah, yeah, like yeah. That. Which is also really great. He'll tell you to like, oh, go check out here because they're selling like the Tigger Tales. I think is where you found out about that. I uh, know. So that it was a, it was a blog. Uh, yeah, it was like the ten foods you have to try. But it was the stuff it, like the the saloon in Frontierland. It's not on the menu, but they have mozzarella sticks. Yes, I yeah. never understand that when it's like, why don't why wouldn't you put it on the menu? Why have it if it's not on the menu? But it's, yeah, it's, so it's and like, the funny thing is, is when I went in February with my friend Shelley and her husband from Australia. Uh, with Melissa and Shelly was having mozzarella sticks and it didn't even occur to me while I was standing there ordering it's not on the menu <laughs> right I was like wait how did you get those I didn't even think about that it's like a so it's in and out like stuff like if that you're, if you're on if you're not yeah. on the west coast listening to this uh, in and out has a secret menu of different options so you can order things like uh, you can do like animal style fries which is where they take like that thousand island dressing that's in the burger with some cheese yeah and they mix it in together. Yeah, there's stuff like that, yeah, and you get the grilled cheese and stuff. But uh, one of the secret menus that nobody knew about was that when I worked for Target, at Target Food Avenue, they didn't have burgers on the thing, but they had burger patties. Huh. So you used to, we used to go up and order burgers all the time, but it was never on the menu of that That's little weird. Food Avenue spot. Because only certain, the reason it was never on the menu is because the menu came from corporate, and only certain places had the grill for the that burgers. you could do it for the burgers. It had to be one of the bigger ones, because the smaller ones is all like, I mean, it was basically heat, heat and eat. Yeah. Um, so they couldn't even do breakfast and stuff like that. Like we, the ours had a big enough spot that you could do breakfast and all that. And then Starbucks came in and they made Food Avenue that little thing where it's just pizza and chicken tenders and it's not. Yeah, because really... they also used to have like a deal with like Pizza Hut at one point. Yeah, they have. The, I think they. Yeah, well they had. Yeah, the pizza stuff, the breadsticks and stuff. Like, and that's when if you work at Target, get to know your Food Avenue rep because the end of the night, man, you can clean up. Just here, take all those. They used to have clam chowder and it was really good. And really? breadsticks. Huh. Yeah, they used to. They had clam chowder. And I would go, and she would put the clam chowder in, like, a large cup. So you would have a huge amount. And she'd make the last breadsticks of the day, so they'd be fresh. Nice. And breadsticks, oh, it was so good. There's very few things about that job that I missed, but that's one of them. Anyway, so we've gone completely and utterly off track, uh, which is fine, because we were done anyway. Probably nobody's listening. Uh, But for sure, check out the rest of the Nerdables family. We have... uh, of course, our comic dating, Nerdables, uh, mainstay, main podcast. We'll have a Star Wars declassified within the next week or two because we read Thrawn, which was really good. Nice. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that character 
And uh, if the writer strike doesn't happen, we'll have the dead cast in the fall because the writer strikes does happen. Then we don't know when we're going to see Walking Dead again. Uh, for my partner Sebastian, this is Chris, and we'll talk to you next week.